What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to this edition of V-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer in the evening hours of Thursday, May 25th, 2023. And tonight we're talking about this afternoon's Cardinals victory over the Cincinnati Reds. 2-1 to one to cap off the series at Great American Ballpark. The Cardinals end up splitting the series with Cincy two games apiece, which is admittedly not the most exciting outcome for a Cardinals team in 2023 with the expectations that come with this team, even though not all of them, many of them have been met so far this season. You still expect to be better than the Reds, who are the last place team as it stands, even with the struggles of the Cardinals. They're sitting ahead of Cincy right now in the season standings of the NL Central. But when you look at it and you realize that anytime you're playing the Reds, it means, well, your schedule has just lightened up a bit. You want to be able to take advantage of that. And for the Cardinals to only come away with a split in this four-game series, you could perhaps look at as a disappointment. But honestly, when I sit back and reflect upon this series, I say good riddance to this ballpark and for the Cardinals to just be able to escape Great American Ballpark with a series split is probably not the worst thing in the world. Fans may disagree with me about this. I want to hear your take on how you look at the last four days for the Cardinals after they had come in so hot on several series wins in a row. They had just beaten up on the Dodgers. I mean, that's a legit contender that the Cardinals handled over the weekend at Bush Stadium. And then you go to Cincinnati where you should, in theory, be able to just keep the momentum that you have been building. And in some ways, it feels like that has been stifled now. You didn't win the series against the last place team. And so does that mean the Cardinals don't have the same momentum that they did? In some ways, I think we saw some starting pitching this week from guys like Montgomery and, of course, Steven Matz on the Wednesday that are problematic. And you don't want to see that continue as a trend, but it's just kind of been the way of the world for the Cardinals this season to get those kinds of short outings from their rotation. And so... From that standpoint, it's disappointing. But when you consider that you had two starts in this series where your starter only went four innings and that the second of the two was the Mats game where he gave up six runs, and you bake in the fact that Thursday's lineup was completely a Roger Dean Stadium in, in Grapefruit League play kind of lineup for the Cardinals. You had Alec Burleson in first base. You had Juan Yepes in left field. No Arenado, no Goldschmidt, and no Wilson Contreras, which I think we expected no Contreras. No Arenado makes sense in context when you realize all the things we've been saying about him on B-Shape Daily over the past few days. He just doesn't look right, not offensively, not defensively. The guy could use a day, and Ollie recognized that and gave him one. But I thought it was a little crazy that Goldschmidt didn't play either on Thursday afternoon. Had been the DH the two previous days, and so he had been somewhat off his feet, as they say. But ultimately, Ollie wanted the full day for all three of those guys in the middle of the stretch where you have seen the Cardinals, or are currently seeing the Cardinals anyway, they're not done with it yet, play 19 games in 19 days. This was one that they had earmarked to give some of their mainstay veteran players a day off, and I had read where uh, they didn't even put spikes on in the dugout. I believe Derek Gould had that in his article today. They weren't even wearing cleats. Like, they were not going to be used. The, the trio of Arenado, Goldschmidt, Contreras was not going to be involved in Thursday's game. And they went as far as to just not even put on their baseball shoes. And that was, I think, the direct from uh, from Ollie Marmel to say, hey, we're giving you this full day. We're not using you. Take the rest. I think it's interesting. Uh, I know a lot of people had reactions to it. I had a reaction to seeing that lineup this morning. It was uh, a little different, right? 
And I think part of it was the frustration from some fans that would say, look, you're down two games to one in this series against a bad team. You got to be able to take advantage of this series and at least come away with a split, right? And the urgency just doesn't seem to be there. I know as a fan that day-to-day mindset can take hold. I try to implore people to to recognize the bigger picture. Like, does it make sense to, to sit everybody at once in a game that you probably should win? Yeah, maybe not, but it's kind of where the schedule painted them. I understand it if you're Ollie Marmel. A lot of people this morning were saying, hey, this is the latest reason the Cardinals should fire Ollie Marmel. I'm like, guys, come on. Really? We're doing this again? They do need to give their guys a break every once in a while, and they've, they've ridden that group especially hard over the recent weeks. And again, production-wise, Contreras has kind of stunk. Arenado has been bad this week, offensively, defensively. He was out of sync, needed a day off. And so I didn't have a problem with that. And then the Goldsmith won. I would say in retrospect, well, they won the game 2-1. to one, And we'll talk about the start by Miles Michael was for sure a much-needed game from a starting pitcher that the Cardinals have not seen many of recently. And Miles provided it on Thursday. But when I think about the Goldsmith factor and, and the fact that he was sitting this game, I think about last September. And the fact that this guy still won the NL MVP, despite the fact that he had a pretty putrid September. Down the stretch, Goldschmidt, he kind of ran out of gas, if we're if we're honest about the way it looked for him late last season over those final few weeks. And so, if you're Ollie Marmel, and you're looking across and seeing Luke Weaver on the docket for today, and you see it's an 11.30 a.m. game, a travel day, it's just an opportunity, if you can afford it, to to get those guys off their feet. It's a little bit of a gamble because you do need to win this game. Fans see it and they say you can't lose three out of four to the Reds. I'm giving you the mentality of the team in the way that Ollie Marmel has talked about series wins and splits and those sorts of things. Win in the first game of a series, whether that's an important thing to the team or not. And he has basically said kind of all games are created equal. We want to win every day. And so we're not going to place extra emphasis on 11.35 a.m. against the Reds on this Thursday than we are on Friday night against Shane Bieber. Like, we want to win every game, whether it's the first game of a series, the last game of a series, a win to save a series loss, to earn a split, to earn a sweep. They want to win them all. And a lot of times as fans, it's easy to kind of get caught up in that day's game and saying the sky is literally falling, the, the team is complete trash if they don't manage at least a split against the Reds. It can be easy to fall into that mentality. Ollie's managing with the last two weeks in mind, with the next two weeks in mind, and trying to come up with the best kind of balance of those aspects. Yes, they want to win the game, but they also have to think about the long run. Uh, it is only May at this point. Calendar's going to turn pretty soon to June, but they still kind of have to have that long-range mentality. So that's a little bit the explanation of the lineup that we saw. And, uh, yeah, they didn't do much against Luke Weaver. We'll, we'll talk about that as well. Ultimately, though, Nolan Gorman was in the lineup, and that's really all you need most days, right? He continues to have just a great season, and uh, the go-ahead Gorman mantra seems to be building for Nolan Gorman as he came up with the go-ahead RBI today. Luckily, there was a wild pitch later on in that eighth inning that scored another run for the Cardinals because the bullpen ended up giving up one run late and uh, was able to hold it there. A 2-1 to win for the Cardinals. Giovanni Gallegos gets the save, does get charged with that run in the ninth, but I say all's well that ends well. Gio has been nails for this Cardinals team, and they asked a lot of him this week. I mean, he threw three times, I believe, in this same series. 
and uh, ended up doing a nice job in all three of his appearances. So that's the docket today for B-Shape Daily. Make sure you subscribe to the Brendan Schaefer St. Louis Cardinals writers page on YouTube. That's the main thing I would love to get. If you like the show and you think the content is worthwhile, I'm not even bugging you about signing up for Patreon, which would be something you'd have to pay for. Uh, I, I did put up a new podcast on Patreon this week. It's patreon.com slash bshafer12. But honestly, if you do any one thing for me today, check out youtube.com slash at bshafer12 and just click that subscribe button. We're closing in on 900 subscribers. When I get to 1,000, it will be a legitimate game changer for me. So um, I would appreciate the support. The reason for that is I can sign up for the creator program on YouTube and start to do some fun things in the live chat with the super chats, and um, I can run ads on the videos, which you can still skip the ads on YouTube. This doesn't lessen the user experience for you guys, uh, but it does help me out a lot to be able to start earning some income for all this work that I've been doing. And if you enjoy the Cardinals coverage, subscribing on YouTube at youtube.com slash at bshafer12 is legitimately something you can do for me because I check it like every hour, like, hey, did we get any new subs? And uh, it would be huge for me if you can do that. Also, check it out on Spotify, Be Shape Daily on Spotify, as uh, we have the audio-only version of the podcast there every day, even when we do a live podcast, a live stream on YouTube like we did the last couple of nights. We still end up putting it up on Spotify. So check out those locations and subscribe and follow at your leisure. Would appreciate that from you guys. But let's go ahead and jump right into uh, discussing that game from Thursday. Two to one. Cardinals get the win. Miles Michaelis. If the Cardinals ever needed a start like this, it was today. And they got it from Miles. Seven innings, five hits allowed, zero walks, five strikeouts, and no runs. No runs, no earned, no nothing. Goose eggs. Seven of them in a row. That's huge, guys. That is absolutely critical for where the Cardinals have been with their bullpen, with their rotation, all of the angst that has surrounded this team in terms of the pitching over the past few days, few weeks, few months, the entire season. I mean, that's what we're talking about. The story of why the Cardinals are sitting at six games below 500 at 23 and 29 right now. Uh, I believe just five games back of the Brewers after they lost to San Francisco today. But the reason the Cardinals are in that spot is largely because of the fact that the pitching just has not stepped up to the plate to get the job done this season. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? Last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. John Mozeliak thought they had six starters. Cardinals fans said, no, we don't think you do. Can you please get us some pitching? John Mozeliak said, well, our hope is that we we do have enough. Guys, I don't know if they have enough. I mean, we're going to see Matthew Libertor on Friday. That's something we're going to talk about tonight as well. I think it's a big start for Libby after we what we saw from Steven Matz on Thursday or on Wednesday, I should say. Uh, that's the kind of start that gets you removed from a rotation if the team that you're pitching for has a better option. And against Shane Bieber and the Cleveland Guardians on Friday, Matthew Libertor is going to have the chance to prove somewhat definitively, if, he, if he'd be so inclined, to say, I am a better option, leave me here. Quit messing with it. Quit telling me that I'm pitching out of the bullpen on my side day. Quit waiting eight days between my next start. Quit it, quit it, quit it. 
put me in the rotation and leave me there. That's the opportunity that Libby has on Friday, and it's going to be a big one, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he responds to the chance in that series opener uh, going up against uh, maybe a trade target of the Cardinals in Shane Bieber. We'll see how he looks and how the Cardinals lineup looks against him. But we know that the pitching is the reason the Cardinals are in this spot right now. And Miles Michaelis, I think, can start to be an agent for good and an agent for change of that mentality. He can't do it by himself, but it, it had been a point where you look at this rotation and go, I don't know if there's anybody in this Cardinals rotation that you can reasonably count on for this kind of outing, for an absolute shove for seven innings. Flaherty had one when he struck out 10 against Milwaukee, seven innings, no runs. Jordan Montgomery had one or two early that were like six and two thirds. I think he might've had a seven inning outing at one point, but he hasn't been the same guy recently. Flaherty regressed immediately in the next outing, walked like four guys, just was not, you know, the same efficient guy that he had been in that Milwaukee game. Like they don't have it. Adam Wainwright hasn't been that guy at all in his starts yet this year. I still am maintaining some hope that he can turn it around, but right now we could be honest about the way that it looks. Miles Michaelis is the one guy that I think right now I'm willing to say he goes he goes that day you wake up in the morning and say it's a Miles start you pretty much know what you're going to get and that's not been something the Cardinals have been able to say at all this season but I look back over now his last six or so starts six and a third no runs five and two thirds three runs and that one was the worst of the of the six pack and that's not terrible it's not a quality start but if five and two thirds and three is the worst you're going to get from somebody, that's finally rounding into the guy that's a number two, maybe a number three at worst in your rotation uh, in, in what I would consider to be a competitive rotation, right? Like the Cardinals, you can you can label these guys however you want right now. Miles is probably your one. Um, behind that, I don't know if it's Flaherty or Montgomery that you'd consider your two at present. And then Wainwright is kind of in that four spot, I guess, because Steven Matz might not even be in a spot after what happened on Wednesday. So you can label those guys in any order that you really want to. But reality is, before this miles start today, I would have said you might have a couple of threes and then a guy that's feigning to be a one, but really he's more like a four right now. And then you've got guys that I guess you could call them fives, but it's just it hasn't been very productive from any of these starters. With what Miles did today, and then you look at it on the heels of what he's been kind of building toward recently, I'm finally ready to say this dude is pitching like at least a, a solid number two. I don't think he's like the dominant ace that some teams are able to run out there every five days. But he's building back toward vintage Miles Michaelis. That's what we got to see from him today. Pouring it in the strike zone, but doing it in a way that Steven Matz just, it didn't occur to him to do on Wednesday, I guess. Matt's had 61 strikes on 90 pitches. He also allowed six runs and 11 hits to guys like Spencer Steer and Stuart Fairchild, uh, who I've I kind of termed on the big show today. Like these guys are like the creative players, like the generated names that you do on an NCAA 13 uh, dynasty when there's no name, image, and likeness on those old college football games. So you just have to like make up the names, and the, the computer generates them for you. That's what you that's what you get when you have a Spencer Steer and Stuart Fairchild. And I'm making jokes and they can make fun of my name because it's dumb. That's fine too. But like you get the point. Like, did any Cardinals fans really know who these guys were to begin the season? Were they were they scouting up Stuart Fairchild and like, don't let that guy beat you? Come on now. Like the Reds don't have a very deep lineup and and 
Steven Matz, man, made them all look like all-star caliber players in the way that he pitched on Wednesday. But Miles Michaelis did the opposite. He did what he was supposed to do Thursday. He poured in the strikes in the way that Matz did, but he didn't pour them in over the middle of the plate. He didn't just throw his strikes anywhere. There was a couple of pitches from Michaelis. One, it was like a ground ball to third that I thought, okay, he kind of got away with that. But even then, it was a kind of a breaking pitch away from a right-handed batter. And so I felt like it was the kind of pitch you can get somebody to roll over on. And so maybe it wasn't perfectly executed, but pretty good. There was a hit to Jonathan India that came early in the game that I thought, yeah, that got a little bit too much of the plate. And a hitter like India, he's going to jump all over that. But I'm telling you what, I could probably count on one hand the number of middle-middle pitches that I thought, yeah, Miles mislocation, and he missed in a bad spot. Everything else was on the corner or off the plate or a back foot slider. I mean, or if he was going to miss, it was going to be missing in the dirt, missing in a way that was just not going to be dangerous. Miles Michael has put on a master class for seven innings today. 95 pitches, 65 strikes, man. That was the kind of outing the Cardinals needed for Miles Michaelis. Efficient, had the swagger going a little bit, was dominant out there, and needed to be because apparently Luke Weaver had plans to do the exact same thing today. Cardinals lineup, we knew it was maybe going to be a long shot to have a robust offensive day when you run out Newpar Gorman, Donovan, DeYoung, Burleson, Yepes, Edmund, Kisner, Mercado as your one through nine. But even still, I mean, they've got a, a 1,000 OPS and Nolan Gorman in there. DeYoung's still uh, 960. Edmund's still 800. This is even after the game. Mercado's 875, but that'll go down. New bar 787, like uh, they had some decent bats in there. That lineup top to bottom, even without the Cardinals, I won't say they're three best hitters because uh, Gorman is better than Contreras and more productive than him certainly this season. But without the Cardinals, two MVP candidates from last year and the guy they spent $87.5 million on to come into the fold this year and bolster the lineup, I still think the Cardinals top to bottom today had a better, more threatening lineup than the Cincinnati Reds. But for whatever reason, man, Luke Weaver had it going on. I like Luke Weaver. I remember, covered him, you know, when he was first with the Cardinals, was trying to make his way in, and I thought he had some talent. I liked his game, but it just hasn't really worked out. Health has been a problem for Luke Weaver. Elbow troubles, you know, really ever since he left the Cardinals and just has not been able to consistently be that guy. He was that guy today, though. Six and a third, three hits allowed, one walk and six strikeouts. Shutout baseball for Luke Weaver. I think his ERA went down by a full run. It was like six and a half, and now it's about four point, uh, or sorry, it's uh, 5.45. Luke Weaver was really good today, and part of that to me is the Cardinals just kind of rolling over like they do sometimes. Part of that, though, was Luke Weaver hitting spots. I mean, I there are days where I say it's bogus if the Cardinals are going to claim tip your cap. We talk about whether it's a day that you can tip your cap, whether it's uh, the type of opposing starter that it's, that's a legitimate claim. And typically, you'd say, Luke Weaver, no, that's you can't tip your cap to Luke Weaver. you got to beat him. But honestly, I saw some good pitching out of him today. I still don't want to let the Cardinals off the hook entirely. Even with the, the B lineup that they had out there, they should have been able to do more. But it didn't happen. Fortunately, they were able to get it done with some damage against the bullpen. Newt Barr with a base hit in the eighth. And then Nolan Gorman does what he does, a double to drive him home, later scoring on a wild pitch after the Cardinals got uh, I think the bases were loaded at that point, but I know that Gorman was on third and they were able to come up with uh, the, the wild pitch score to get that second run, which Gallegos decided to use, giving up a run there in the ninth inning. This was not the way you draw it up necessarily, but from a starting pitching perspective, it, it was. And that's the takeaway for me. 
that Miles Michaelis was able to be that guy, and I was I was beginning to go through his recent game logs. Six and a third, zero runs. Five and two thirds, three runs. Four and a third, one run. Six innings, one run. Seven innings, three runs. Seven innings, no runs. That's a run of basically six consecutive pretty good starts from Michaelis. The one that I I hated the most of all of them was the four and a third. Even though he only gave up one run and struck out seven, the efficiency that day just wasn't enough. 96 pitches, and he couldn't get through five innings. And uh, that was a game the Cardinals won in Chicago because the bullpen absolutely bailed him out by pitching more than half the game. But other than that, and, and again, if those are your worst starts and they only happen once in a blue moon, you can live with that. Miles Michaelis, to me, has ascended to that circle of trust where I wake up on a Miles Michaelis day and I'm a Cardinal fan. I go, all right, it's going to be a good day. I know that, you know, maybe the offense is going to have to get a few, but he's going to keep them in the ball game. He looked really good today. And he looked like you're supposed to look against the Reds. Like, I don't want to toot the horn too much because that is a pretty weak lineup over there. Uh, but it's still a big league lineup and beggars can't be choosers. When you're the Cardinals and you haven't really seen many of those kinds of games from your rotation, you'll take what Miles Michaels gave you today. And it was a big time for it. For Hagen came in and Geo came in to close things out. I think that's just a testament to how important these wins are right now that Ollie Marmel said, hey, Geo, can you throw again? Can I can I get another day out of you? And not only just a day, but the fact that he came in in the bottom of the eighth to get out of a jam there and then pitch the ninth. So Geo ends up pitching more than an inning, records his fifth save of the season. You, you weren't going to have Helsley. I, I kind of figured they'd want to stay away from Helsley. And uh, you're able to get Gallegos in there. And credit to him, man. He's got a 2.1 ADRA this year. He's been very available. Again, you pitch three games in a four-game series, and you get four outs on the save in that fourth game, as, as Gio did today. I don't care that he gave up a run. He did his job, man. Ends up getting that one done. And a lot of it, what are we talking about when it comes to our conversation about Tyler O'Neill? You know, the best ability is availability. I can never say that right. The best ability is availability. Don't try to say it five times fast because it'll mess you up. But it's true, and that's what makes Giovanni Gallegos so valuable to the Cardinals. Because for as good as Ryan Helsley is, he hasn't been available at the rate of a Gallegos historically. And to Helsley's credit, I think he's getting to be a little bit more cognizant of that and saying, hey, I recognize what happened in arbitration last year, and I didn't get maybe the raise that I thought. I was deserving of, and one of the things the Cardinals pointed out in that ARP hearing was availability. And now that kind of cuts both ways when you think, well, hell, who was the people that were always telling us that they, they didn't want to use Helsley too much? That's the Cardinals. But I think you can read between the lines a little bit and recognize that, yeah, a lot of times Helsley was probably guiding those conversations, and the Cardinals were willing to, you know, to give him what he felt he needed, but they'd like to have him more. Right, Part of it is they want to preserve him and, and make sure he's healthy for the long run. But the other part of that is as long as the player says, I, I am good and feel good, and you got to be truthful about it. But there's got to be a happy medium there between burning out an arm and making sure you've got your closer as often as you need to have him. But I don't have anything negative to say about Ryan Helsley when it comes to that this season because I feel like he has actually been that guy to answer the bell. He's been willing to go. He went back-to-back back this week. I, I was surprised to see him, honestly, on, on I think it was Tuesday's game, where game one of the series is when he gave it up in the 10th inning, I believe, right? And a lot of people reacted, oh, my gosh, this is a sign. See, Ryan Helsley can't throw a second inning in an outing. 
He just falls apart. And I was like, guys, the runner on second was there automatically. He didn't put that there. He walked a guy and gave up an out, a fly out. That was it. Unfortunately, a wild pitch was mixed in there, and a sacrifice fly loses the game for the Cardinals. But we agreed. Well, I say we agreed. I'm the only person that talks on this podcast. So uh, I agreed with myself <laughs> that Monday the Cardinals lost the game because they didn't score in the, the ninth and 10th inning when they had five base runners. They loaded the bases in the ninth, and in the 10th they had first and second and could not get any of those runs across. So I wasn't pinning that game on Helsley. But then he was answering the bell the very next day to go out there and, and try to get the Cardinals that W. It was a little bit of a rocky inning, but he got the job done in that one. So, you know, I, I don't have anything negative to say about Helsley. He's definitely made progress in that regard. But, man, Giovanni Gallegos has been that rubber band arm and it feels like you're going to have to pay that debt at some point that he's going to have an injury. But knock on wood, man, Gio has been very durable for this team. And uh, I don't know where they'd be without him right now because, again, you could have thrown somebody else out there. I don't know why we haven't seen Jordan Hicks but one game in that Cincinnati series. Like, I thought maybe you'd go Hicks instead of Verhagen in uh, Thursday's game. They went with Verhagen. Verhagen's been settling things down a little bit, although he almost gave up that home run to Maley. It was just barely foul down the left field line. I thought maybe that would have been a spot for Hicks, but there might have been a reason with the the, the splits and the different uh, pitch types that they thought Verhagen could have some success against that part of the lineup. I'm not covering these games on the road, so I can't claim to know everything that Ollie's looking into, but that's just a subtle reminder for fans to recognize we don't know everything that Ollie's looking into all the time unless – a reporter asks him and he answers it truthfully, which he always does. I mean, he pretty much gives you the book on what they're looking at uh, on when he gets those questions, but it's hard to know what's being asked when I'm not out there on the road in in Cincinnati or or coming up in Cleveland over the weekend. But that's why I try to explore all sides of an issue. Long story short, I thought Jordan Hicks was maybe going to be in, and I'd say you probably have to see him by tomorrow. If you don't see him by tomorrow and there's an obvious situation to put him in, I'll start to question what's going on there if there's a health thing or whatever. Um, but my assumption is just, yeah, he pitched once in the Cincinnati series, and today was really the first time that I thought, ah, I thought we'd see him there instead of Drew, and then we saw uh, Drew Ver, and that, that was that. He ended up pitching two-thirds of an inning, uh, walked a couple of the guys and needed the bailout from Gallegos. So his ERA is 3.51. He's not at the top of the list in that circle of trust, and I, I still think I would trust Jordan Hicks a little bit more than I do for Hagen, but uh, Hicks has got the higher ERA and has had his own, obviously, his own troubles this season. So we'll see how both of those guys do moving forward. But my point with all of this is that without Gallegos, you'd be thrusting some other guys into some uncomfortable roles. You haven't, as a Cardinals fan, really needed to see very many stressful ninth innings that aren't Gallegos or Helsley. Those are your two best relievers, and they've been able to, between the two of them, basically cover a lot of these save situations um, I, I don't know off the top of my head if anybody else even has a save on the Cardinals this season. may have happened at some point. But generally, you're able to kind of have a 1A and a 1B when it comes to closing out games. And in this case, they're kind of alternating out where Gio was available today. I'm sure Helsley wasn't. And that was uh, the reason that you go to him. So credit to him for just being available. There's something to be said for that for a team that's short on bullpen arms. They've only got seven right now with the the way they're approaching the rotation, having Matthew Libertor be that number six starter. Now let's get into that, though, with Libertor because he has a big game coming up on Friday night in Cleveland. And I kind of wonder if the six-man rotation goes by the wayside after this outing. And if that happens, which I think it probably will, if you want my prediction, like 
Libertor is going to start, but then you'll either see a roster move on Saturday with him, and he'll probably he may, he may go down, and they bring up the next bullpen arm, or if Libertor pitches really well, the next bullpen arm might be Steven Matz, and that's the move you make. I don't know if they're ready to do it, Cardinals fans, but the one thing I'll say about Wednesday's outing from Steven Matz, it's not like times earlier in the season when he struggled and he, he would give up four runs in the first inning and then he'd give four more shutout innings to where the Cardinals might look at that and go, well, he did settle down. It, it may just be worth giving him another chance. We are paying him $11 million this year. We do have him under contract for two more years. Maybe we just let him go and we'll just kind of kind of let this be. Like they've been very reluctant to do anything with Steven Matz, and I understand why with the contract and all that's been invested in him. And the fact that last year it was kind of a short leash as well because he was injured. And then when he came back, he kind of was a bullpen guy because you couldn't ramp him up quickly enough. And so we never really got to see the full version of Steven Matz. But now I think we're kind of seeing it, and it's not very consistent. Steven Matz had made progress prior to Wednesday's outing. Like, genuinely, he had. I think it was like five and two-thirds or five and a third. Gave up one run, three runs, and then had a shorter outing where he only gave up one run. And, like, that's not the progress you want. You got to get through at least five innings. That's got to be the, the prerequisite right now for the Cardinals rotation with the fact, especially when you've got the sixth starter and you, you basically limit yourself bullpen-wise because of that. I got a lot of Twitter comments today, people saying, why don't they take Trace Pereira, this third catcher that they don't need, and send him down for a pitcher? They need another reliever. And I'd say, I know, but they can't. MLB would, st- <laughs> MLB would step in and say, well, you got 14 pitchers, and that's too many. Just like 22 at the blackjack table, you can't have it. They did institute a rule, I think it was last year, 13 pitchers is the most you can have on the active roster. And so, because of that, and because of the six-man rotation, you got seven relievers, and that's how many you've got right now. So you cannot send down the catcher that they don't need for a pitcher. You could send down the catcher that they don't need for another bench bat. I don't know why they don't. They really value those three days in a two-week span that Wilson Contreras DHs and Kisner catches, and you might need to pinch hit for him late, even though if you had Luke and Baker, who they don't really think very much of, evidently, or anybody else from AAA, Moises Gomez is on the 40-man roster. If you bring him up, bring somebody up to let him be a bench bat, you could put that guy on days that Contreras DHs and Kisner catches, you could put that guy on your bench and say, hey, if we need somebody off the bench late, we're going to go ahead and burn the DH. Like, that's fine. Contreras is going to have to come in. We'll pinch hit somebody for Andrew Kisner. Contreras is catching, but if that spot should come up again, that nine spot in the lineup where Kisner had occupied, if that spot comes up again, we'll just use the pinch hitter for the pitcher spot, and you're fine. Unless you have a 13-inning game or something, I don't understand why you have the third catcher for this very niche scenario that when it happens, there's a very easy answer for how to, to, to deal with it. And you might, you know, have a few people chuckle at you, and say, ha-ha, they burned the DH. They might have to have a pitcher bat. It would never happen. It would never come to fruition. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. And you'd have Wilson Contreras catching instead of Barrera, and I think he's a better defensive option, even though they say they trust Barrera back there and whatever. I just don't understand it. I really do not. When you, when you lay it down that way, and that's the only scenario in which they have even used Barrera in recent weeks. Like, truly, that's the only time it's happened ever since 
they've had Contreras come back to be the catcher again. It's only been on those days where he's DH and Kisner's needed a pinch hitter late because he, they don't want him in a right-on-right -right matchup with the game on the line, which makes sense. But there's no reason to have that third catcher because you could just have the guy that you'd rather have bat in that spot anyway if it should ever come to fruition getting through the entire lineup after the eighth or ninth inning. If you did that, you're either in extra innings or you scored a bunch of runs, so it probably doesn't matter who bats in that spot anyway. But I say this all to say you cannot replace the third catcher with a pitcher. MLB won't let you do that. And that's what makes the necessity of these starting pitchers going deeper so important. But Steven Matz hasn't gone deeper. He hasn't had a six-inning outing all season. And so when you look at what you considered kind of the moderate improvement that Matz was giving the Cardinals prior to Wednesday's game, what really do you constitute as improvement there? Like, it's better than it was, but what's the what's the range here that we're talking about? Like, if the upside of a Steven Matz is five and two-thirds and one to three runs, and that's the best you're going to get, what are the Cardinals chasing with continually going down this road with Steven Matz? Because one thing that we do pretty much know at this point is every fourth or fifth time he goes to the mound, you're going to be out of a baseball game before the end of the first inning. Like, that's happened. It's happened multiple times this season that he gives up a four spot in the first and your offense goes, well, screw this. <laughs> I don't care. And, and they shouldn't, but it's human nature that they just seem to get taken out of the game because they're down 4 nothing before they can really even settle in. And that's like, I've had Cardinals fans go, well, that's excuse making. You can't make an excuse for the lineup. They need to still grind at bats. That's great. I know. There are fans out there who are going to be angry, though, no matter what I say, no matter what the team does. And like to those people there, I would say, listen, if you don't think there's a human element related to being on a baseball team, and knowing that, well, good grief, we're down 4 nothing before we even, maybe before we even bat is one time that it happened at Bush Stadium. Like, yeah, you can string together rallies, but mentally, that's just tougher, and you can tell me that makes them mentally weak. You can tell me whatever. I'm going to ignore your comment in that case because I it is the way that it is, and uh, this is one that you're really not going to change my mind on. I appreciate your input if you feel that way, but you gotta you got to be realistic sometimes and go, yeah, it does make it tougher to think, everybody's going to go up there thinking they got to hit a four-run home run and there's nobody on base. That is the quickest way to lose a game. And it's not all Steven Matz's fault that that's their mentality, but that's kind of the fuse that gets lit and you go, yep, we're in for a blow-up kind of game where it's just going to be very clear early on that we're not meant to win this one. You want to avoid anything that can take your team out of it in the early portion of a game. It's just, it's just common sense to me. Steven Matz giving up four runs takes his team out of the game. It does it from a logistical standpoint of now you've got more runs to score, and it's hard to score a bunch of runs, but it also does it from a psychological standpoint for the lineup. And it pretty much is going to be the case that every four or five games that he starts, that's what's going to happen. One time it'll be because, well, it turns out he wasn't comfortable throwing his curveball. We found that out. Didn't want to throw the curveball. And so he had a limited arsenal going out there to, to try and start a game. Whether that's because he was tipping it or was wondering if he was tipping it or just didn't feel like it was a sharp pitch. The break on the curve yeah, yesterday on Wednesday was not as significant as it has been in the past for Steven Matz. So maybe that's the reason. 
but on Wednesday it was the changeup. They figure it out in both broadcast booths that he's tipping the changeup. Radio broadcast knew it. Rick Horton knew it. Brad Thompson knew it on the TV side. And Ricky said, if I can see it, the hitters can see it. Like, how often do you hear a home team's broadcaster, which is, uh, this is a road game, but hear me, do you hear the broadcaster for the team that they're covering saying, yep, our guy is out there tipping his changeup? You don't hear that very often, but I think it's so blatant at this point that I appreciated the candor from both those guys, Brad Thompson and Rick Horton, because they're right. It's not like the Cincinnati Reds are going to hear the radio broadcast and go, hey, guys, he's tipping. No, they've got guys in the, the dugout looking for that like a hawk. I hope the Cardinals do too, by the way. I hope that's something that, I mean, you'd think Dusty Blake should be on that. You'd think the Cardinals, Adam Wainwright, the Cardinals, uh, uh, other starters should be on that. Why it took, I mean, this happened for multiple innings. And so I don't know how quickly you can address something like that. I think it should have happened quicker. Or is it a case where, ah, we can't really tell it's a delivery, it's a mechanical thing, we don't want to screw with him. Listen, guy was giving up 11 hits and six runs, screw with him. You might as well change something especially if it's something that's helping the other side diagnose what he's going to throw. So that's kind of a crazy outcome of that for me. And the takeaway that I don't have from that is, oh, well, he was tipping his change up. That means they can fix it in between his starts and he'll be better again next time out. No, no, because it's like the straw that broke the camel's back at a certain point where you go, how many different things do we have to deal with before we just maybe say, let's, let's, not let this guy be overexposed in the rotation. Let's put him in the bullpen where maybe he can he can try something different there and, and, and find himself a little bit. Because Steven Matz has not always been a bad pitcher. He's been bad this year. But, like, Steven Matz has had good major league seasons. That's why the Cardinals signed him. You know, he in Toronto, he had a 3-8-2 ERA. Cardinals would kill for somebody that throws 150 innings with a 3.82 ERA this year. That would be the number one with a bullet in their rotation. I hate to say it. He had years with the Mets, 3.40 in 22 starts, 3.97 in 30 starts. Even in 2019, when he was a 4.21 ERA in 30 starts, a career-high 160 innings pitched, like, that's fine. Again, that is a better ERA than the Cardinals have had in their rotation all year. Nobody's got that. Miles Michaelis today got down to 4.23, I believe. So maybe one or two more good starts, he'll be below four, and and that's about where he should be in the threes. But Steven Matz has had good seasons before. This isn't one of them. He is leading the league in the hits that he has allowed. 68 hits leads MLB, according to the the bolded page on the uh, baseball reference. It may just be leads the National League. Yeah. I think it would be in italics as well if he led the American League too, but it's 68 hits he's allowed this season. He's putting the ball in the strike zone for the most part, although the walk rate's not been great either. 20 walks in 50 innings. Last year he had 10 walks in 48 innings. I mean, Stephen Matzman has been all around rough, and I think it's to the point where the Cardinals probably need to make a move. Nah, not probably. They do. Provided Libertor doesn't have just an abysmal outing on Friday, that's his spot. And you move Steven Mass to the bullpen, you maybe can turn him into a, a benefit to your team in that way. 
Don't overexpose him in the rotation, but now he's in the bullpen where you could honestly use another lefty anyway. Cabrera, it kind of all falls on his shoulders, and, and he didn't pitch that great the other day. Palante is a right-hander that they use as a lefty because of reverse splits, but they could they could stand to have another lefty in that bullpen. That'd be fine. And Steven Matz could be that guy. He could throw multiple innings. He could be a lefty specialist. He could maybe take some of those pitches that he's tipping or or is not confident in because the break on them is bad. The pitch shape is has lost a, a little bit of shine. Okay, throw those out the window. You only have to face three batters today. Throw that fastball, which to his credit has still been 94-95. Maybe out of the bullpen he gets a little more on it. 96-97. I don't think that's a crazy thing to assume he could do if he knows he's going to be more of a short burst guy instead of a starter. Throw that fastball and pick a, a secondary pitcher too that you can really kind of lock in on and recognize what you're trying to do to the guys you face. I'm not saying Steven Matz can't be a help to this team in that role. I think that he could. I think there's a higher percentage chance of that happening, though, than him miraculously turning it around in the rotation. Because if it's not one thing, it's been another with him. This week, it's the changeup that he's tipping it. What's it going to be the next time? Again, he's had some better outings recently. There was the game against L.A. on the 2nd of May where I think that was the game he gave up four in the first, and he ended up throwing four more good innings. So at the end of it, you go, well, five innings, four runs. It's not great, but it doesn't kill you. Well, it kind of did. Cardinals lost that game five to one. Offense said, nah, we're good. It ain't worth trying to back this guy up. And no, they don't actually say that, but it kind of comes out in the way they perform, right? You can tell that their their head just might not be in it on a given day when, when you spot the other guys four in the top of the first. But then Steven Matz, to his credit, five and a third, one run. Hey, not bad. Five and a third, three runs. Well, it's not great, but you'll take it. Four and two thirds, no runs earned. Well, you got to get through five. But again, you can live with that every once in a while. But like, that's the best stretch of his season. Five and a third is where he maxed out. He hasn't thrown six innings. And then he followed it up with four innings, 11 hits, six runs. No, 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 no. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. And where is the upside? If you say, well, we really want to get Steven Matz back in there because we think we can get another one of those five and a third with one run allowed starts. And then the next one's going to be, you know, five and two thirds and three runs. But that's okay. Like, that's okay, right? That's good. Where's the upside? If you are going to live through the acknowledgement that every five or so starts, he's going to have a, a first inning blow up and he's going to be tipping one pitch or another. If you're going to basically concede that, but then say we're chasing the upside, you're chasing a unicorn at that point because the unicorn of a seven inning Steven Matt start does not exist, at least not in his current form with the St. Louis Cardinals. Maybe he's been that guy in the past, but for whatever reason in this iteration, I don't think you can expect it. Why am I so confident in saying that? Well, Jeff Jones of the Belleville News Democrat had a tweet today. Stephen Matz has now made 20 starts as a Cardinal. He's completed six innings in two of those starts. He has never completed seven innings. It hasn't happened. Year and a half. Going on a year and a half. And granted, he was injured most of the last season. But 20 starts and you haven't gotten one of seven innings? I think it's safe to say it's probably not coming. 
Jeff added this, not including starting each of the last two seasons with a zero ERA. Like, you get the first out, hey, I got a zero ERA this season. If you take that out of it, his lowest ERA has been 4.56 as a Cardinal, which was last May 2nd, more than a year ago. Then Jeff added he gave up eight earned runs in two innings the next time out. Yep, the the upside of Steven Matz, the thing that you hold on hope for and say this is why we got to keep him in the rotation because we're waiting for this version to show up, it's a unicorn, man. I don't think it exists right now. You can't realistically expect it to show up, and you can't be fooled by the next five and a third, three runs, five and a third, two runs, four and a third, no runs. You can't. You're out of time on it. You cannot continue to go down this path, particularly if you've got a solution. And the timing just could not be better for Matthew Libertor to go out and have a shove. He could he could really use it. But my opinion, as long as he gives you at least five innings and no more than three runs, that's enough for me because I think there is more upside to Libertor. I kind of know there's not with Mats right now. I'm ready to see something change. And I'm not saying Libby's going to be the answer. Hear what, hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not. Libby is not automatically going to be the answer to this rotation, and that's going to come as a shock to some people. Because if you're riding the riding the train and beating the drum and you're ready to see it, you're probably of the mind that this guy is infallible. But he pitched five innings, didn't record an out in the sixth in his last and only start for the Cardinals this year, didn't give up any runs. But a couple of important things to remember from that start, there was a Tyrone Taylor double that was originally ruled a homer, and then they reviewed it and saw it bounced off the very tip-top of the wall back onto the playing surface, and that saved a run for Libertor. And Nolan Gorman, with what I still consider to be the best defensive play made by a Cardinal infielder this year, on the third base side of second, throwing across his body, saved a run by uh, getting somebody out at first base on a grounder. That saved a run because there were two outs in the inning at that time. So... Easily could have been five innings and two runs for Libby. But I think with the change we have seen in him, his velocity is up. His mentality is an attack mentality. But I think his stuff plays a little better than Steven Matz's stuff to where you might be able to make a mistake or two over the heart of the plate and get away with it. Can't do it often. Nobody can. You know, even guys who throw 100 shouldn't make a habit of it. But I'm ready to see Steven, Steven Matz to the bullpen and Matthew Libertor be the guy that they say, all right, what do you got, kid? And I don't even mean one start. That's why I say if he's five innings, three runs, that's good enough for me. I give him some leeway. I give him some latitude because here's the deal. I think we know what Steven Matz is right now, and I don't think he's going to be a reliable option. And it gets to be the point where you've got to find out if you've got five reliable options in the organization before July 31. And the next guy on the docket to, to be able to test that theory is Matthew Libertor. And so I pitch him. And I pitch him every fifth day, and I do it for a good month or so. Even if you have some struggles, hey, they let Steven Matz work through struggles. It's taken this long to even have this conversation in a serious tone. So I, I'm, I'm to the point where even if Libby doesn't have a great game on Friday, if it's even suboptimal at worst, I'm taking it. If he's five innings and three, four runs, I go, all right, it's not great, but I'm going to give you a little bit of an opportunity because otherwise, how can you ever expect anybody to learn and grow and improve? If every time they struggle, you go, oh, no, back to Memphis for you. Can't do it. 
We'll let Stephen Matz struggle, though. We'll we'll give him a bunch of starts before we consider even skipping him once. You know, Jack Flaherty, he gets as many as he needs, and there's a reason for that, right? They think Jack Flaherty's got upside, and they're right. I think he does. Whether he'll hit on that upside this year remains to be seen. He's done it once. Can he do it more often? We'll see. Steven Matz, though, does he have upside right now? I don't think he does. He has a contract. That helps. But I don't think it gives you anything on the playing surface. doesn't give me anything in the box score. And at this point, I don't know for sure that Libby will, guys. I'm going to admit it to you. It could go the other way. He could have the exact same efficiency problems tomorrow, and then they've got a real decision. But it's time to find out. And that's why I'd give Libby a few starts. Honestly, even if he struggles tomorrow, I make the move because I know the upside of Steven Matz, and it's capped. I would say the Libertor upside isn't capped. The floor is just as low. The floor could be exactly what Steven Matz has given you. I mean, it's identical. But I give Libby a better chance of avoiding the floor and at least some chance of hitting on the ceiling, which exists. He's got a ceiling, and right now with what Steven Matz has shown, that ceiling just isn't there in his performance. So I'm going to give Libby a month or so, maybe a month and a half, because then you can go, all right, We've given Libby an opportunity. He failed twice. He failed a third time. He's worked through it. We can make some level of determination based on a sample size of five, six, seven starts. And now we know, yep, we do need a trade. And we need one for a starting pitcher. And even if it's a guy who's a rental, that's okay at that point. Because right now, I'd look at the Cardinals' trade prospects and say, you don't have room to trade for a late rotation innings eater. You don't have room for that guy because who's he going to replace, right? Well, now the answer is Steven Matz, but I think you give Libertor the first shot at that so you don't have to give up pieces to get that guy into the organization. You can't patchwork your rotation every July and ignore it in the offseason and expect that to just be fine. I know John Moselak is hopeful that they can. I, I hope he's finding his finding out and learning his lesson by now that it doesn't work. But I give Libertor that shot because if you go through and exhaust him as an option, I don't think you really have anybody else in Memphis that I feel like, yes, these prospects are ready to get that call. And so then you can know, all right, we do maybe need a a scrape the bottom of the barrel kind of starter the way we've gotten the last couple of uh, Julys. We do need the J-Hap. We do need the 23 version of Jose Quintana. We do need another Jordan Montgomery or maybe a rental version of that. Like, we do need that. Right now, they don't. Right now, I mean, people are telling me in my live streams, what about Chris Sale? What about, what about? I don't think those guys are automatically better than what the Cardinals have. But if the young kid shows, eh, yeah, he's basically just not giving you the the efficiency and the length you need either. And we already know Steven Matz isn't. All right, maybe now you go out and you can trade for somebody And that, to me, opens you up to a Lucas Giolito, where otherwise maybe you're not as open-minded to it because, yes, he's better than what you have, but he's not long-term, and so it it doesn't really solve any problems beyond just the here and now. And for a team that's below 500, how much can they really prioritize the here and now and give up guys who could help them in the future, prospects and the like for a Giolito type? Otherwise, I've said you got to look at the very top shelf in a trade for a pitcher. A guy who is controllable and is an ace, like a, a Shane Bieber, who they'll see tomorrow pitching for Cleveland, or a Dylan Cease, the ace of the uh, Chicago White Sox, a team that has struggled. you got to think that highly and give up legit names to get him. 
But otherwise, it's just not worth it to trade for a pitcher because they might just be the same thing you've already got unless the Cardinals have injuries or they prove that the Mats slash Libertor spot cannot be solved internally. If those, if one of those two things happen, then yeah, you might need another patchwork arm, but the only way to find out is by letting Libby have a little bit of a leash. Give Libby the leash that you gave to Steven Matz, but now it's time to, to cut the cord on that one. I'm not saying DFA. There's there's still $22 million beyond this year that they owe him, and they got to pay it to him regardless. Put him in the bullpen because I actually think there's a scenario where he becomes basically an Andrew Miller type, that he's a lefty reliever that you're paying more than you need to pay, but at least he can maybe give you some innings and he can fill a role. That's where I am on Steven Matz. Let me know where you guys are. What do you need to see from Matthew Libertor in tomorrow's game, in Friday's game, to be able to say, yep, make that move? Because for me, the bar to clear is not all that high. It's not that significant, and I'm kind of curious to see what the Cardinals are going to end up doing after Libby get because he's probably not going to shove, right? He's going to make it a tough decision. It's going to be like five and a third, two runs. What do you do? Well, for me, it's an easy call at that point. But what do the Cardinals do? I don't know, but I don't think they have the luxury of time with this one. And they're not going to stick with the six-man rotation. This is going to go one way or the other. And if he throws a quality game tomorrow and they send him down and leave Steven Matz in the rotation and the Cardinals just call up any relief arm just to get some coverage, which they'll need the coverage. I'm not denying that. But if that's the way this goes, man, boy, oh, boy, the people are not going to be happy. And they'll be right to be upset. If Libby gives them a quality chance to win tomorrow on Friday and they still send him down after just because they need the arm, We'll be having some interesting conversations. I will be out of town for Memorial Day weekend over the weekend. I'll bring my laptop. I might be able to throw something together, but the Wi-Fi, the Internet situation in uh, rural northern Missouri where I will be, it's going to be sketch. So we'll see. There won't be any lives. I'm pretty sure of that, but we'll still try to – I'll try to get some stuff up on there for you guys. We'll see. Uh, But Friday night will be good to go. We will still be around for Friday night. There will at least be a podcast. I don't know if I'll go live or not. After uh, Friday's game, we'll see. It kind of depends on what Libby gives us to talk about, I guess. Um, Because sometimes I can do a a live and it takes me an hour and 45 minutes because we get so many comments. And other times I can do this in under an hour. And um, uh, to be honest with you, people watch it either way on YouTube. And so uh, people listen on Spotify. So if I could could save myself an hour or an hour and a half of editing and different things, sometimes it's nice to be able to... It's like an off night when I only talk Cardinals baseball for an hour. But I hope that y'all who listen through these whole podcasts and enjoy the content, I hope you appreciate that about me and that I'm out here grinding, trying to give you guys some good stuff to talk about. Uh, and when I ask for your feedback, I mean it because you guys are valuable to me. At bshaper12 on Twitter, shoot me a direct message. Let me know what you like about the pod, what I could do better. All of those things are sincerely appreciated. Don't feel like, oh, he's going to be pissed if I give him some criticism. No. I need it, guys, because otherwise, how can I ever make this better for you and get to the ultimate goal of where we want it to be? Like, this is the first year B-Shape Daily has legit been daily. Um, even last summer when we were going hard, I still took took more breaks than I've taken this year. And so uh, I want to be able to continue to give you guys uh, the best Cardinals audio content on the Internet. That's the goal eventually. I, I'm probably not there yet, but I want to be able to get there. So appreciate your guys' support. Once more, I'll beg you to subscribe to YouTube youtube.com slash at bshafer12. If you're listening on Spotify, I'll put the link in the description to this episode, uh, the YouTube link. And if you're listening on YouTube, it should be fairly simple to figure out how to hit that subscribe button. So thank you guys so much for listening. Appreciate you guys as always. We'll see what we get from Matthew Libertor tomorrow to talk about. 
And uh, we'll be right back here on B-Shape Daily to do it. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.